Hi, welcome to Vestat Podcast. This is me, Alex. I'm here with Jesus. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm going to be here today with Alex talking about a very important issue that I think is going to be very interesting. Yes, so today we are going to talk about uh, coronavirus. I know everyone is talking about this, uh, but we will actually um, not talk about the coronavirus in itself, if it's lethal or not, if it's uh, a deadly virus, etc. We are not going to judge this from a medical perspective or any of that kind. We actually are going to talk about the economic implications of it and uh, more specifically the economic implications of the government actions tackling um, this virus. Um, we're going to talk about this because we see this discussed in the, in the public discourse and a lot of this are um, government actions, big government handouts, bailouts or credits, uh, really expensive. We're talking about a lot of money and uh, a lot of people just just accept it, don't, don't um, question it or um, well, what, what we want to do is to explain what, re what, what it really means, these government actions that it's um, taking. And so um, I'm, I'm here with Jesus, he's an economist. And what I will try to do is um, try to express the way I think about these issues or the questions I would ask myself. And he will help me um, resolve that questions, answer them. Uh, so that uh, I can see the implications of these actions and see if they are good or not, or at least if they're cost-effective. Um, so yeah, well, the, the general principle is that the government has to take first in order to give. Um, so that's uh, what we want to expand on during the podcast. And we will use several uh, examples because we're uh, from Germany, because we're, we're living living in Germany, uh, but still the principle we want to share, it's, it's the same and it applies for all governments in all countries. Jesus, do you want to say anything more or do we want to start? We can begin. Yeah, so well, um, the first um, question I would ask myself is, well, I, I would see the government spending a lot and you would say doing a lot of help, um, helping small businesses and helping the airlines that can't work and the hotels and the restaurants. And uh, But I would ask myself, where? Uh, well, where is this money came come from? Where, how um, get the government these resources to do this amount of help? Yeah, so I would say implicit in your question is the recognition of a very simple idea. And the idea is that the government does not simply magically create stuff, right? It doesn't produce anything. Uh, things don't come from the sky and the government just simply hands them out to us. No, every government action needs to be financed, be it effective or not. And the way that the government is, there are three primary ways in which the government is financed. When we talk about government, when we talk about the state, it is important to remember that government is the only social institution which has a monopoly over the use of violence that is sometimes perceived to be legitimate. And one of the way the government uses this uh, tool that they have at their disposal is by um, taxing, right? By taxing the citizens of the nation. There are many taxes, 
which are the primary way with which government gets its revenue. One is the income tax, which is what we normally think about. But there are also a great number of other taxes which we normally don't think about, but still are present and effective to recollecting income. There is the payroll tax, there is the property tax, there is consumption tax, there are tariffs, which are also a kind of tax, there are fees, and many others. But additionally, not only do we have these direct taxes or true taxes, but we have others which are effective taxes, right? These are government policies that aren't explicitly taxes, but result in income to the government through uh, income from the public. This includes, for example, pension insurance, health insurance, social security, and many others. And the reason that they are similar to taxes is that there are also um, amounts of money that you have to uh, give to the government. And if you don't, uh, you will be prosecuted accordingly. Um, however, in this case, in theory at least, uh, you should get a service from the government uh, as a return for your payments. Another way that governments throughout history have had to gain income that they can use to fund all of their actions is simply uh, printing money. Um, this we mean metaphorically. It's not literally that they just print new uh, new bills. They also do that, but not only. They also just simply create um, electronic money, so to say, um, because they are the government is also the only institution that has a monopoly over a currency. So the government decides which currency you have to use, and because of that, it has the power to simply create new one. The consequences of inflation from an economic perspective are very well studied. It's an economic catastrophe. If you want to look up on this issue, we will provide some notes in the show notes. Um, a reason why inflation is so criticized is that it's regressive in its nature. What this means is that those who are harmed the most by inflation are middle and low income households and citizens in general. And those who are hurt less are those who have big capital, those who have great companies, or those who have stocks. Another way the government finances itself, although this is not a direct way of finance, but more a way in which the government can get credit from the private economy, is through bonds. And the idea here is basically, uh, if Alexander has a... Um, great amount of money in the bank account or he has a business or whatever the government can say to alex hey alex please give us one billion dollars for example and we promise to pay you back in 20 years or 10 years or five years and we will also give you an interest rate of three percent for example so here the government basically takes government from the uh, money from the private economy and promises to give it back in the future which obviously has to then pay it back either by printing money and having the cost of inflation or by increasing taxes or taking the taxes from the future. So it's not a direct way to get money, it's a way to postpone um, the moment in which the government has to finance itself. Okay, so we see three ways, and only three ways the government can be financed. Your direct taxation, where you would see how much you're taxed, because you see it in your paycheck, or every time you buy a good, um, you see the taxes on that good, then it can print money and the, only, and the only reason it can do that is because it has a legal monopoly over that currency and then it can um, get credits uh, from the private market um, but it eventually has also to be paid somehow. So we notice that the government gets finance from the people. It doesn't build anything, it doesn't sell anything. It just takes resources from its people 
and then if it spends it, it gives it to, to other people. Now uh, we can talk about spending. And well, the German government spent 160 billion dollar um, euros. Um, I think just last week that was the last number I could find. And um, just to you, you have to really think about this sum: 160 billion dollars um, euros. Um, and that's basically 2,000 euros per person. Germany, we have 80 million people and well that would be 2000 euros per person and that's just the money it has uh, spent during this crisis the corona crisis it's not the money it spends uh, every year so that's that's a lot of money yeah so i would i would like to emphasize that's the amount of debt of private debt that it holds only for this in corona crisis so it's even more money right but this gives you a, a rough estimate of how much money was actually spent yeah it's an enormous amount yeah well and it has been spending um this amount of uh, this money uh, for example helping small businesses that uh, can't open their stores or can't make an income for whatever reason right now and they get uh, some amount of money also there's a policy in here in Germany which is called Kurzarbeitergeld. Uh, it's you could call it short-time work, and it's a way to help businesses reduce their cost, the cost of employees, by reducing their work hours, and uh, that way they have to pay less salary to workers because they now work less, and the government steps in and pays sixty percent of the difference of uh, what the what the employee uh, lost through that um, salary uh, work hour cut. So, for example, if I have a salary of one thousand euros, and the government and sorry, the company reduces uh, my work hours ten percent, then I only get nine hundred euros salary. The difference is one hundred euros, and the government gives me sixty euros, uh, so sixty percent of that hundred. And this goes to to all the ranges. So if the government, if the company reduces me one hundred percent, so I don't work anymore or any hours, then I get six hundred euros from the government. Another thing that's uh, been talked about is bailing their airlines out because, um, of course, they they can't fly it right now, uh, so they have to be bailed out or um, even nationalized. Or talking uh, uh, is in the, in the public discourse and uh, another thing that was done is that um, all the Germans that were all around the world were uh, brought back or had the option to come back to Germany through private flights um, for example my brother who lives in Venezuela and is in a German school uh, his his teachers had the possibility to come back with a private flight of Lufthansa paid by the government, but not just government employees outside, but just um, German citizens in general could be to, um, could take part of this. So, yeah, we see a lot of, of ways the government is uh, spending the money, but um, can you tell us more what, what does it mean when the government spends this and what's the economic implications of this? 
So there, as you mentioned, a lot of measures that the government took. There are many others, which perhaps we did not mention, right? Because the number is just staggering. Uh, but I just want to focus on, on one of the most important ones that you mentioned, Alex, which is the, as you mentioned, this Kurzarbeitergeld, this short time work in the effects that it has uh, on the economy or the expected effects uh, of such a measure. And to understand the effects of a public policy, we always have to keep in mind that the way to evaluate a policy is not based on the supposed claims of those who are in favor of the policy, but we have to judge the policy by the incentives it creates and the actual effects it has. And those effects can be very different from the supposed goals that the policy had at the beginning. We differentiate as we should current and future effects. And it's important also um, to remember how it is that we're going to think about the effect. So we have to think about how does the economy function normally without this uh, measure? And how does it work after this measure was introduced? So to think about this, let us think about what, how normally business functions and the relationship, relationship they have to workers, especially when it comes to risk. Because uh, when you have the, the normal functioning is that if you have a company, you can have a very high returns. And this has to do with the fact that you also carry high risk or at least you carry the risk. And the logic is basically if you have a hotel, let us take the Hilton Hotel, for example, and there are a lot of customers coming in, right? You have your workers and you pay them. You pay them a fixed wage. You don't pay them according to how much money you gain. You pay them always the same. And if you're lucky and there are a lot of customers coming in, perhaps you make a lot of profit. But if for whatever reason afterwards, then there are very few clients coming in, you still have to pay your workers the same. So in some sense, the, the business owner takes a risk. And on the other hand, those who are actually taking a job have a secure, stable wage. Now, when this measure that Alex, uh, this Kurzarbeitergeld, this short-time work measure is introduced, the incentives are put completely out of place. Why? Because now the company, the Hilton Hotel, for example, it might say, well, I mean, if there are people coming in, great. But as soon as there, there are no people coming in, Normally, I would have to bury the cost, right? I would have to still keep on paying my workers. And now I can simply say, no worries, uh, just don't work. The government is going to pay for it anyway. So I don't have to pay it. I don't have to uh, pay for that risk. The government takes care of that risk for me. And if we remember, as we mentioned before, that this government funds come from taxation that are paid by all citizens, then we will also think about the fact that some companies are being compensated and ours are not. And which are the companies that are being compensated? Which are the companies that are getting the benefits that I just mentioned? It is exactly those uh, companies who were not prepared for the situation or who are in the greatest need. So need is the standard here. And who has to pay? Well, those who have to pay are especially those companies who were prepared for the situation, who are not getting these government grants and subsidies, and they have to pay for those who were unprepared for the situation, or at least those who are not being productive in the current situa economic situation in which we are. More importantly, all taxpayers in general are the ones who are financing uh, these measures. In other words, you could say that the taxpayers are bearing the cost of the lack of productivity on the side of big companies or big hotels like the Hilton Hotel. Instead of being the Hilton Hotel, the one who actually has to pay that cost, which would be the normal uh, functioning of a market economy. Additionally, it also leads to arbitrary location of jobs within the company. So I have example of this firsthand. So the company, 
when it decides which workers it's going to keep and which workers it's going to fire, the first workers that it's going to fire, it's those who are not eligible for these grants and for these subsidies. So, for example, if you have been working for a company for a short time, then they can simply just fire you and you're not going to get any money from the government. So they just fire you independently of how good you actually are. It might be the case that you're actually a very good worker and very productive. In a normal circumstance, you would be the last one to be kicked out. But because of these measures that apply to some and not to others, then you lose the job and somebody who is perhaps less capable at the job, the company keeps because it knows, oh, whatever happens, this person is going to be paid by government if I don't need him. And I can keep him there whenever I need him back, right? Additionally, it creates an incentive not to work. This is common uh, to all of those redistributive measures, which are just simply giving without conditions. Um, And this also means that people try not to search for new jobs. So if I know that I'm going to get 60% of my salary anyway and just stay at home and do nothing, then I'm going to think twice about it before I go and search out a new job, especially in this condition. Yeah, so what I find um, interesting is that the the economy always changes, right? Correct. And especially in, in times of crisis. So what this means is what was important before Corona, the Corona crisis is not no longer important right now. And uh, what wasn't important before may be really important right now. An example, I think it's really important to find a vaccine to produce masks and um, other industries are um, getting bigger. So, so you would see the, the economy shifting, changing. But when you, when you put these uh, measures in, so that basically the logic is, oh, nobody can lose its job because that's, we, we don't want anybody to lose its job. That means, well, we are freezing the economy as it is, as if it would be perfect the way it was just one, one month ago. But that's not the case. Right now we have other priorities. For example, I think uh, an, an industry that would need a lot of, of, of workers right now is the tech industry, especially the ones that, uh, that are creating conference call services um, like Zoom or Google Hangouts, etc. I, I bet these companies need a lot of workers right now because they have a way bigger demand than usually. And the other one is delivery services um, because restaurants can't sell anymore locally. So they have to, the only way to sell is uh, through delivery service. So what I mean is normally you would see people going from one industry, maybe the tourism industry that is not that much needed right now. Yes, it's forbidden, but still it's not the most important right now. Um, and you would see people going from, from that industry to the other industries that are important. Uh, but these measures uh, make it more difficult or at, at the very least incentivize people not to uh, move. And that way we don't allocate resources the, the, the best way it should. And it's not a, a way of thinking about economics and maximizing profits. No, it's we have really important issues we have to solve right now, like vaccines, like masks, like um, getting groceries to all the people who, who can't buy right now. And some, some, um, someone has to do this. And the government is taking all the measures that a normal, normal economy would have to uh, make this able. 
And um, we not only see this with jobs, but we also see this with products. For example, toilet paper. And I find this uh, really interesting. How How is it that toilet paper can just disappear as it did here in Germany for a couple of days? And uh, you said something related to price gouging. So price gouging is when you when you um, take a product and uh, just sell it way above its market price, you could say. Um, so that the, I, I understand the logic behind it is so that um, this there is this very needed product like to- toilet paper, and uh, you don't want other, some people um, taking advantage of other people's need over this very needed product so that they don't um, make a huge profit out of this need and therefore you forbid them um, to, to sell it at, at uh, some price. But what's the economics behind that? Yeah, so I would like to make a, a general point uh, from what you just mentioned, which I think goes uh, very well into the, the laws uh, behind that prohibit so-called uh, price gouging, uh, which I don't think is the right way to think about it. Um, as you said, the economy is in a situation of being frozen, right? So the resources cannot go where they're mostly needed. And what is the way that an economy normally allocates resources? So what is the what is the, the mechanism that lies behind the incredible efficiencies that the markets have? And that the mechanism is the price system. It's the price mechanism. And what price gouging does is to create a direct hindrance on the normal functioning of prices, and as a consequence, it also hurts the allocation of resources that are scarce, especially in a situation as this, where a clear price signal is so necessary to get the goods where they actually need to be. In the case of toilet paper, what happens is simply that the demand for toilet paper has increased, so a lot of people go out there and buy a lot of toilet paper, and it might be that if uh, supermarkets are unprepared, they might run out of toilet paper, right? And what would normally happen in the economy is that they would see, oh, okay, uh, people really want a lot of toilet paper right now, so I'm going to increase increase the price, right, because there's a lot of demands, so that I, so that I can make a profit. Now, but through this price gouging law, which you mentioned, which basically says you cannot sell your product 100% above the market price, as you mentioned, what exactly the market price is, is never explained, and it's absolutely arbitrary, uh, which gives the, the legislator a lot of leeway when they decide when to introduce this measure and when not. And basically the companies say, well, I'm not sure if I should actually increase this price. If you would increase the price, then you would have an efficient allocation of resources, right? Because then the people would come in and they would say, wow, okay, now it costs four euros instead of two, or now it costs six euros instead of two. I'm going to think twice about it if I buy toilet paper or not. So then there's going to be toilet paper left. So the decision is not high prices or low prices, the decision is high prices or no toilet paper, right? Because when you say, no, you cannot increase the price, then you don't find the toilet paper because people just buy it, and then you create a black market in which then it's sold for a much higher price. So at the end of the day, the effect that the measures, the the legislation against price gouging has, is exactly the opposite of what it tries to prevent, right? So it creates exactly that which it tried to prevent. It is as if I my house was setting on fire and I would say, well, okay, to solve the solution, I'm not going to throw water on it, which I know works. I'm going to throw gasoline on it and try to see if it works. So and this is something, it's so simple, right? It's it's basic, economic, basic economics. You can see this in every textbook. It's really 
it's fascinating that still in this day we can have uh, such you know lazy thinking when it comes to economic issues yeah so another thing another way of allocating resources would be um the loan system so um loans have a price which is the interest rate and when a lot of people need loans the price would go up right Correct. but there's a law um called well it's um, i think a concept you would say called usury and that says that uh, a loan can be too expensive and that means the interest rate is too high and um there are also laws against usury and that prevent the interest rate of going up or too too high yeah i mean at first i mean i i reject this concept of usury uh, i would call this people um, getting credits voluntarily uh, i don't see how there can be anything bad about this actually quite the opposite it's exactly the same mechanism i explained before especially in these times where a lot of companies need credit, right? You would expect the price of credit to increase so that the credits actually go to those companies who need it the most. Um, it would allow for more credit to be actually offered in the market because I would think to myself, wow, if the, if the, if the interest rate that I expect, if my profits from lending money is higher now, then perhaps I want to lend. Before, perhaps before I didn't want to do so. So the simple fact that you allow the price to go up means also that you will create an opportunity for more credit to be provided and that it actually goes to those who actually need it. So it's exactly the same uh, type of thinking. I would say it's even more important because laws against usury affect the entire economy instead of where price gouging only affects certain goods. Yeah, I think it's important to mention what does it mean the companies that need it. Um, that means that the companies are able to pay that interest rate And that the only the only way they can pay it is if they make a product that people really need. And right now we need an efficient way of allocating resources. We should be able to invest into uh, the things we need most, and that would be uh, be in um, vaccines or masks or uh, any medical products we need right now, where you could expect a huge revenue because they're really needed and. Uh, these companies could um, buy buy these loans, but all companies that may not uh, expect so huge profits won't take them. And what does it mean that when they can't uh, make uh, that, uh, pay that loans? Well, it means that people don't care that much about those resources they are providing, so they won't buy them. And wh what I mean is like the the the. The economy, the, the economy has ways to allocate resources in times like these very, on a very efficient way. And the government is always stepping in with these measures that have very nice intentions. But you also have to look at the results and the results are not the, the same as the intentions. Yeah. So uh, we were talking about um, loans, credits. The government is also giving credits. And um, there are people talking about uh, giving these credits or even bailouts with conditions. I think the best example I have is to um, bail out their airlines with certain conditions. Um, the condition I've heard is to make them reduce the CO2 emissions 
or go zero emissions by 2015. I think that's the number I always hear. So uh, what do you think about giving these handouts, loans, etc., with conditions? Yeah, so this is not a strictly economic issue, uh, the question you just raised, but I think it's a very important question to ask. Um, I know that the example that you give about the airlines is, I think, one of the best ones, but I would also like to emphasize that this is not the only one for which this uh, proposal has been made. It has been made as a general, but as a general proposal for how the government's funds uh, should be distributed because at the end of the day, you know, these companies are getting funds for the government, so the government can expect something in return or something like that. That's how the logic goes. So I think it's important to remember why it is that these companies need these credits in the first place. And the reason that these companies need the credit in the first place is because it, ha they, it has been impossible for them to actually earn the profits in the way they normally do. The airline industry has been completely shut down, as many others. So, of course, no wonder that they need a credit. And then the government, who was responsible for the first measure I just mentioned, then says, okay, we're going to give you the credit because I know you need it because of what I did. But then you say, well, well, you have to do this and this and this, otherwise you won't do it. So this is, I mean, the logic behind this is really bizarre. It's as if Alex was here one day, you know, calmly walking through the house and I would grab him throw him in my room, take out the key, and throw it at the window. And then I would say to Alex, uh, well, you know, Alex, I can give you food if you want, right? Because you're not going to get food anyway. You're trapped in my room. And then I would say to Alex, uh, well, okay, I'm going to give you the food, but uh, I want this one condition. I want to keep your computer, for example. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, ridiculous, right? I mean, we'd call that, we'd call that theft. No questions asked, right? It's, it's insane. And... Of course, that's not exactly the same as when the airlines, but that's the principle behind it. And I especially have to say that I find it repugnant that uh, these environmentally uh, groups and political parties know that the com companies are in a situation of need and they know that they're in a situation in which they cannot say no and they fully utilize the situation of need for political gain and to pass measures that normally nobody would accept. And that I find repugnant, especially I do, because they are the ones who talk the most about helping the people in need and so on and so forth. But when it comes to their political gains, they utilize it shamelessly. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's uh, the correct way, or at least you, you should think about this um, when seeing this issue. Uh, I, again, I find it strange that nobody talks about this. Um, well, we see that the 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 way the the general principle, especially of bailouts, and and Kurzarbeit is a bailout. You just give people money. Um, is to take, as we said, you have to take resources to to give them in the first place. So this is nothing other than a redistribution. You're taking and giving back, giving to others, and. Uh, even taking from our children if if the government is getting into big debt which it is and um well why have my children why do i have my children to pay for this i don't know but you see that it's a redistribution so i would think why not credits i think credits would be more a little more just right yeah i would say uh, on two points uh, one they're economically sound right because it accepts that those who should have to pay for the credit are those who actually 
get the money, right? And the ones who actually get a credit are those who are actually probably going to pay it back, right? So it recognizes that the entire economy should not be harmed by the perhaps harsh situation in which a company might be in. But more importantly, I think when you look at this as an issue of justice, um, if you really believe that nobody is responsible for this crisis in particular, because nobody is, right? Then why should big then big companies should not be subsidized by companies who are also not responsible for this, nor should they be subsidized by taxpayers in general? If you want to get special money, okay, we can give you the credit, but then you are the one who has to pay it back, not the taxpayer. I see no justification whatsoever for the idea that a person who has never been in a Hilton hotel and perhaps never will be in a Hilton hotel has to pay in order to subsidize the profits of big companies like the Hilton hotel. I think it's disgraceful. Yeah, yeah. I see I see the way um I understand the way you would look at this. Like it's it's unjust um to to make these people not work because we had forbidden them because of this this crisis. And um of course it would be unjust to just leave them alone and, and not help them in any way, but it's also unjust to make other people pay for this who also had nothing to do with this problem. And, well, now we have to look at why did this happen in the first place? Why did we forbid people to work, to go out, to make a living, to help themselves? And the reason is the healthcare system. And uh, you, you've heard it all the time. Uh, we have to flatten the curve. Why? Because the, else the healthcare system will be overrun. So that's why we can't let people work and that's why we have to bail everyone out so let's shift our discussion to the healthcare system and the first thing we see it's that it's public and not only that but it's also i would say a failure it failed why well for that let me let us imagine what how this would look like if the healthcare system would be private so that would mean that you would pay your private insurance and you would pay to your hospitals and uh, then the coronavirus comes and they are overwhelmed they just can't treat you so you, you get sick you go to the hospital and they say no sorry we have no resources you have to go home and you die at home how would how would people react to this what would you hear in the news people would be outraged People would say, how, how can these greedy capitalist hospitals um, just rip off mon uh, people like this? Um, they knew that this was coming because an ep a pandemic is not nothing new that came out of nowhere. Pandemics have been in the past and you could have been prepared for this. And they knew that they, they had to um, be prepared for this, but they didn't. Uh, and that's just because they were thinking about money, about making profits, and they would be prosecuted, prosecuted publicly and legally. And that way you would see how that, that, that it's a, a, a failure, that would be a failure in that kind, but you don't see it happening right now. And the reason is because the healthcare system is public. So it's run by the government. And the government can say to all the people, you know what? Just stay at home. You can't work. You can't go out. 
uh, because else the system I created would be overwhelmed and we can't let that happen. And I also know a way to pay everyone to stay at home with this money. Well, we already discussed where this money came from. Yeah, I mean, I, I could not have said it better. I absolutely agree. Uh, it is clearly a failure. Um, and I think it's important to remember when we, here in Germany, they call it uh, this uh, Krankenversicherung, uh, which could be translated to health insurance. But this, what they call health insurance, is really not a health insurance. It's a coercive redistribution system in which you have to pay in. You have to pay in not according to your risk, like a normal insurance would, but you have to pay a portion of your wage, a percentage of it. So the more you earn, the greater the amount that you have to pay for this insurance. And as you can imagine, it can very quickly get very expensive, even if you don't even use the insurance. And what this also means is that because the entire public healthcare system and a great part of the insurance system in general is uh, nationalized or is in the monopoly hands of the government, they have made it impossible for people to actually prepare privately. I cannot. It's extremely difficult to create simply a private hospital in which I have my private insurance and I use my money to prepare for a situation as this. No, it's, it's impossible because I have to pay into the system, which they call then health insurance, but it isn't. Um, and then this system also leads to extreme waste of resources. I know this from first hand, and this is uh, generally accepted in economic theory. Of course, if somebody else is paying for it, if what you pay doesn't depend on your health, then of course you say, well, whatever, give me a nice bed, a golden bed if possible, uh, if I get anything for free. So it is a system that is well known, and I can say this from, from uh, personal experience, that is known for its waste and its inefficiency when using resources. Yeah. Well, we, you know, you, you can say that you still uh, need uh, a public healthcare system that's still important and that under no circumstances it can be privatized. But just just think about this this way. They forced you in. Because you have no choice, at least not in Germany. You have to be in this system. You have to pay for it. Um, or almost everyone has to pay for this. Unless you're rich, then you don't have yes, to pay. Yes, un unless uh, you earn a certain amount of money, then you can go to a, a private insurance, but which is also heavily regulated. But either way, um, most of the people have to pay for this, and uh, they promised healthcare for all. And then they made the system, they made a, ma a bad system. It was not prepared for this. It, wa it is wasteful and it is expensive. And because it was not prepared for it, they just removed your freedom. They took your freedom. They didn't let you work. They uh, and, and don't think about the money. Think about your life. Think about your goals, your wishes, your dreams, your vacations, the plans you had for this year that you couldn't do uh, because of this crisis. And then they had to practically stop all the economy and bail everyone out. And you already know who's going to pay for this. If you're a worker, if you pay taxes, you will pay for this. Eventually, even your children. And you already know how much taxes you're paying. Um, and it probably will go up. And yeah, it's, uh, you, you know, if, if we need a public system or not, yeah, we can have a discussion about that. But that people in the government don't even apologize, don't even accept that it's their, their failure 
and that it's because of them that we're in this position i i find um, you know it, it makes me angry you know and uh, i would like to to say another thing which is uh, it, it's really ironic right so the entire idea was this idea of the reason why they took away our freedom and stuff was because we had to flatten the curve right so uh, we created a lot of beds, right? And everyone stay in, so there is no more infections and so on and so forth. I don't want to comment on the effectiveness of those measures. I'm not a, a doctor. But what I do know is what I heard from the news. I mean, correct me if I'm saying something wrong, but that there were around 150,000 empty beds in Germany? Yes, 150,000 beds. It was just, I just heard it three days ago in the Tagesschau, which is the, the um, government-run news uh, report. And... And then um, they even postponed a lot of surgeries so that they could increase the capacity. Correct, yeah. Um, but now doctors had so little work, um, even less than normally, that doctors and nurses were um, sent away to take vacation because they had no work to do. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult to, to even know what to say when you, when, you, when you hear things like this. You know, if, if you would tell me that there's an insurance in which you have to pay in a percentage share of your income, and then you actually need an operation, and they simply postpone it to whenever, I don't know, when I'm going to get an operation, if I need it. Then additionally, because they can't pay you, and because they can't do the operation, they restrict your freedom, as we already mentioned, and then the doctors go on vacations. I mean, I would say that's a really bad insurance. I do not want to be part of that insurance. It's, it's disgraceful. Especially if you're forced to it. I mean, at least apologize or at least give me my money back, right? Because you certainly can give me services or at least say it's a tax. Admit it, right? It is a, a flat-out tax. You do not have any special right to any service. You just have to pay it independently whatsoever because it's fair or whatever. But I think it's important to recognize that if you look at this, the entire package, right? Not just one thing, but the entire package and you look at it and not to think, that this is a failure, I find really difficult to believe. Yes, you you may disagree with us on, on some issues, but still uh, remember that the, the principle, the, the questions that we want to transmit to you, and is every time the government spending money, ask yourself where, where did this money come from? And yeah, see, see um, not only that that you are paying for this but also the effects of these measures which of course it's, it's more difficult but i mean you can notice it in, in your life if, if you're now uh, on short-term work let's say you know that you don't have a big incentive to search for another job yes maybe you don't want to but you, you certainly don't have the incentive you won't stand up and say yes i will go into work um, search for another job just to get 40 percent more money no, and you you can find a lot of these incentives, a lot of the measures you can see that, that can happen, and you can also start to question the measures the government takes and and, and see do we really need it? Do we really has it? Does it has to be this way? Is, isn't there another way? Yeah, one uh, I might add, you know, um, the point is not even to discuss. Uh, to what extent should the government help or shouldn't it? That's an interesting discussion to be had. But if you're going to help, right, if you're going to make economic measures, if you're going to uh, make all of these regulations and subsidies and whatever, 
then you want to try and do it efficiently, right? So you want to, in a special time of need, you want to waste, you don't want to waste any resources, right? You want to make it in the most effective way possible. And to look at this and to think, you know, yeah, this is really the most sound and economically or generally socially effective way to tackle this crisis, I find really difficult to believe. Yes. And, you know, yes, you, you try to be effective and sometimes you don't, you are not. Uh, people make mistakes, of we understand that. Of course. But at least you would apologize for that, right? And especially if it's such a big of impact like we're having right now. It's not trivial, the, the things that happened to our lives right now. The, the least I expect is an apology. But no, you, you see them talking self-righteously, morally, with a moral upgrade, just talking like they were the heroes of this. When a lot of this a lot of their fault of this a lot of this problem is their fault and uh, another way I wanted to uh, another thing I wanted to to discuss uh, finally with you is the way it's explained also in the news and in the in the public discourse um and it's you hear often this word solidarity and you comment something about solidarity that you you don't quite like it how it's used. Uh, and in those ways yeah so i mean I, I think it's i think it says a lot about the people who are who are using this rhetoric right because we all know what solidarity is right i mean solidarity is i and alex go to the street and we see somebody in need and then because of the love of my heart right because i care about him because of human sympathy i want to help him with my money right i pay the cost of this but still i do it because i want him to be well off Right? I want him to be better off. It makes me happy. That's solidarity. And I might give him a $10 or $20 or I might give him some food or whatever. Or I might sit down and talk to him a little bit. That's also solidarity. That's also very kind. What would not be solidarity if, if Alex would come in and take my wallet out of my, out, of my, out of my pocket and then he would take $50 out of my pocket and give it to, to that guy that needs it. Right? I would not call that solidarity. At least I haven't acted solidarity in, in a way that's solidarity. I haven't acted at all. I didn't do anything. Alex did it without my consent. He didn't even ask me. So that's not solidarity. In the same way, when we say, you know, we have to be solidary and we have to subsidize all these companies, it's not as if the people had a choice. So I don't give them moral credit points because they, you know, did not fight actively against them paying taxes or something, uh, at least in this context. So I think the way in which solidarity is used is very strange. And I would be very happy if all of those persons who are actually talking so much about solidarity would actually practice solidarity a little bit more themselves and give an example so that if they're really interested in helping other people, they would actually do so themselves with their own resources and with their own energy. Yes, and also important, um, the people who are doing this act, who are acting for you, they're also not solidarity. They also don't get any moral credits. Would would you be a hero if you spent other people's money and given to all the others? I wouldn't say that's solidarity. It's solidarity when it comes from your own pocket, your, your own resources, your own loss, your own loss. Um, and, well, it's this critic again. It's not just this world alone. But start asking yourself whenever you see these measures implement, uh, justified, explained, the words I use. I sometimes find them strange. I wouldn't use it in that way. 
if you would be interested in accurately describing what is actually happening, then you would not use those words. If your intention is another, if your intention is to present things in a positive light or a negative light, then it would perhaps be appropriate to use these words. Yeah. Well, I think this is the end of this podcast. Do you want to say something else? or I would just simply ask the viewers, think about this. Um, there might be things you don't agree with. That's absolutely fine, but I think we have raised uh, good questions and you I would advise you to think about it. That would be, uh, yeah, my my giveaway for this uh, little podcast that we have. Yeah, of course. If there's anything you want to discuss with us, uh, of course, you can reach out. We're very interested about your opinion. And I just wanted to comment on our next episode. We will have a very special guest, a doctor. And... Um, We will talk again about coronavirus and now about the virus in itself and if the measures taken are effective or not. Uh, it will be great to have someone in that area of expertise that can help us. Again, we are going to have the same questions the way we would think about this, but it's always great to have an expert who can tell you maybe uh, the things you don't see Um Exactly. So hope to see you there on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.